Well, it is great to see you, Providence family. And uh, if you're a, uh, new here with us, a guest, we're so uh, thankful that you have joined us. I pray that this time is uh, really encouraging to you. Um, one Sunday a year, uh, we um, sort of mark off and, and say, you know what, on this Sunday, what we want to do is to intentionally look backwards over the last year and see uh, some of the tangible ways that God in his kindness, that he has been good to us, how he's been faithful to us, what he's done in in our lives, uh, in our families, as well as as a family of faith. Uh, we call it Celebration Sunday, and it happens to be today. And so uh, if you are new with us, you have uh, really joined us on a great day. And if you call Providence your home, I pray that this day will be really encouraging to you. Now, let's be very clear about what this day is and what this day isn't. We want to celebrate the Lord's faithfulness. This is not scoreboard Sunday, okay? This is not where we throw out a bunch of numbers of things that God has done. Now, we certainly care about numbers, and we've seen fruitfulness. God has been so gracious to us as a people. And the fact is, is that sometimes when a church uses numbers, it does so. And every one of those numbers represents a real person with real struggles and real spiritual need. And God is doing things in, in, in all of our lives. And so we're thankful. And yet we also know that numbers are a really poor God. We also know that numbers are not the point. God is not a number. We want to celebrate him. But the other thing that we want to make sure that we do is not celebrate in such a way that we minimize or, 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 um, or look um, over the significant pains and even disappointments that this year has brought to many of us in our church family and the different ways that God, by his grace, has taught us about his sufficiency in those challenges. You see, some people in the last year lost a loved one or battled anxiety or deep depression or some significant need. And yet you're here. God has been faithful to you. You are still marching forward and God is to be praised for all of these things. And so what we want to do today is very specific. We are choosing in faith. Listen, anytime you choose to acknowledge his faithfulness, you have to do so in faith. To recognize that the benefits that we have seen, things, things that we look at and we go, oh, that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. By faith, what we're doing is looking past the blessings to the hand that's outstretched behind those blessings and saying, I'm the one who gave those to you. And by faith, what we want to do right, is to, is, to, is to look and to trust God enough with our life to rejoice in not only what he has allowed for us to enjoy, but also what he has withheld. And we want to do this because the Bible, in fact, our text this morning from Proverbs chapter 16 tells us that it's one of the ingredients of a good life. Is that we look to God and we see what he's doing and we look at the practical things in our life and we say, God, I choose to trust you. Even though I don't understand everything, I don't understand all of your ways or your pace, why it's taken this long. I don't know why the hope that I have in my heart has not been realized yet. And yet I still choose to trust you. And that's what we want to do today. So if you brought a Bible with you, if you want to look uh, at the 16th chapter of Proverbs, we're in a series through Proverbs, not the whole thing, but just parts of it. And Proverbs is all about wisdom. And what we've seen over the last several weeks is wisdom is the ability to know and to do the right thing, even when the Bible does not specifically address our situation. For example, is this the right person to hire? Is this the right person to marry? 
Is this the right friend to confide in? Is this the right amount of freedom to give my child at this age? Every single one of these questions are the questions that we all wrestle with day in and day out. And what Proverbs does is it doesn't always tell us the wise choice to make. What Proverbs does is it tells us the kind of person that routinely makes wise choices and then calls us to become that kind of person. And so in this series, what we've been looking at is just practical Um, tangible facets of the diamond of a person who is a wise person. And the part that we want to look at today is that people who enjoy the good life, what God says is the good life, who are truly wise are those who make plans in full view of God. And then they trust God enough to rejoice in whatever he brings their way. And so we want to pray to him and ask that God would give us this kind of faith. So if you would, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your, your book that gives us instruction and clarity. That calls us to become wise individuals. That calls us to trust you with our life. And we lay our lives before you. And we confess to you, God, that we go through many days that it just seems like that you're far away. We know that you're not. We know that you tell us that you're not, but sometimes we don't know what to do. And so we ask, God, that not only would you give us wisdom and knowing to make good choices, but God, would you continue to refine our lives as a people of faith here at Providence so that we routinely make wise choices. And I pray today that you would speak through weakness and that you would help us to have eyes to see the ways that you have been kind to us as individuals and as a church And that you would give us the gift of trusting you enough to rejoice in what you have done. We love you and we need you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 16, starting in verse 1, says this. It says, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord. And your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And then verse 9. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. And verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. And then one last proverb, chapter 21, verse 5. He says this. He says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So what we want to do here is I want to show you three kind of overarching principles that come out of these proverbs that we just read. Then I want to give you two applications, the last of which really ties in with what we want to do today, and that is to celebrate God, to trust him enough to celebrate what he has given. We want to see a video of some of the things that he's done, and then we want to pray and thank him for all that he has done in our lives. So the first thing is this, is that God invites us to make plans in full view of God. It's interesting that he does this. He encourages us to make plans, but not only does he encourage us to make plans, he encourages us to do that planning facing 
God, acknowledging God, seeing where God is, acknowledging his justice, acknowledging his justice, acknowledging his mercy and his kindness. He says in chapter 21, verse 5, he says that the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Every single one of us knows the value of planning. Businesses tend to function better when they have a healthy business plan. Churches tend to thrive a little bit more when they have a ministry plan. Construction teams tend to thrive more when they have a construction plan. Even artists, even the, the, the most creative, spontaneous artists, the, 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 if there's an artist type that I would say, that's, that's, that's really spontaneous, right? It's, hey, here's a wall, here's some paint, let me throw the paint on the wall. And, but even they are confined by this is where I should throw the paint and where I shouldn't throw the paint. Every single one of us needs to plan. This is what he says. He goes, that those who plan, there's significant benefit in their lives. It, it tends to help life go a little bit better. Years ago, like 15 of them, uh, my wife and I, we uh, went out west uh, for a vacation. And we thought for this vacation, we're going to fly out there. We're going to make a plan to have a car when we get there. But then we'll plan it once we get there. And, uh, and so we, so we uh, uh, flew in at San Francisco, and our plan was to kind of uh, do some camping, and, and, but, but we really didn't spend a whole lot of time planning it. In fact, when we arrived at about 9 o'clock p.m., we didn't have a hotel, and so we're, so we're driving around, and there happens to be this huge convention that we didn't know anything about, and so we can't find a hotel, and so we're literally driving uh, almost an hour out of the way to a town and hope that they would have hotel rooms. We get there about midnight. Well, we wake up the next morning and we're all excited about camping and we looked at the weather. We've not looked at the weather yet. And the way it says rain every single day that we're there, and we're thinking, what are we going to do? And I said, well, let's just rent. We'll just drive north and we'll, we'll see some things. And we did. We saw some really cool things. But the fact is, is about day three or four, she kind of broke down. About five or six, I broke down. We were both said, let's, let's go home. When I broke down, this is what happened. Okay, We were really far north, um, Almost to Oregon, and um, and we don't have a place to stay that night. We drive and we're absolutely exhausted because it's just raining all day, and we've 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 driven all day pretty much. And we get there, we don't have a hotel, and so we find a hotel, and it's thirty two dollars. Now, if you know what a thirty two dollar uh, hotel, um, it's actually not a hotel; they call those motels. And and uh, and 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 so we go in, like whatever. So we go in, and I was like, man, this is what are we doing? And so we go out to eat. We just leave it and like, let's, let's just go out to eat. So we go out to eat. We finish, and I say, I want some pie. I want some apple pie. So I, I order an apple pie. They bring a slice. I say, no, I don't want a slice. I want the whole pie. I want, a, I want an apple pie. This is the only redemptive part of this day right here is this pie. And so we eat a slice. We go home. And, 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 and so we're in bed. She falls asleep, and there's a fight outside. Right? And I can't sleep. I don't sleep any the whole night, but I eat the whole pie. Right? And so... So the very next day, now I'm sick, and I'm thinking, this was a bad plan. And the reason is because there was no plan. There was no plan. Churches, businesses, construction teams, artists, vacations, families, parents, we need a plan. And so what he does is he contrasts two different kinds of people. He says the plans of the diligent. Now, the diligent is, can also be translated attentive, thoughtful, strategic, And he compares that to what he calls someone who is hasty. The word hasty there means impulsive or reckless. And so he's telling us that the things that are the most important in our life, we need to look and sit down and say, you know what, over the next two months, 
What are some things that I can do in these most significant areas of my life? What are some plans that I can make in order to make progress in what I'm saying is so important to me? And I would encourage you to make some plans. But I could tell you make plans, and I wouldn't even need an open Bible to do that. We all know instinctively that planning is typically a good thing for most of our life. And so what Proverbs does is he serves us by telling us how to make plans. And you remember over our study that we've seen that Proverbs, its goal is to show us that all of life is condensed down basically into two diverging paths like you see on this slide right here to where you can go one way or the other. And these two paths, they're separated by what it calls the fear of God. In other words, one path is is walked facing God and the other path is walked not looking at God at all. One path acknowledges God, acknowledges his ways, acknowledges what he loves, what he, what he says within his word and says that I fear you. I recognize your justice. I recognize this is your world and not my world. And the other path says, I don't recognize you at all. And so this is what he's saying to us. And this is really important. He's saying that wise individuals not only make plans, but wise individuals factor God, God's pleasure, God's pains, God's ways and God's words into those plans. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus speaks this parable and he says that there's a master and he wants to give a great banquet for all the people that he wants to invite to his house. So the banquet is prepared and he sends out this massive invitation and it says into a person, every single one makes an excuse of why they can't come. So he gathers his servants together and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back. I want you to go. I want you to find people who are poor, crippled, blind, doesn't matter. Find everybody. Tell everybody that they're invited. People have to come. There's a banquet that's made available for them. And it's interesting what the servants say to them. They say this, Luke 14, 22. They say, what you commanded right now has been done. Now, this is what they're saying, and this is really important. What they're saying is, we know you well enough to know what you would want. We've read your word. We know what you love. We knew that when we came back and we told you that everyone on your invite list said no to it, that you were going to call us to go right back out. And so we didn't wait to tell you so that you could send us back out. We just went back out. We've already done that. And this is so important for us as a church family providence that God wants us to grow in our knowledge of who he is by studying his word so that our plans reflect that we know what he would have wanted to begin with. When we're facing God and making plans, what we're saying is, I know you would want this. And so I'm going to go ahead and do this. You see, the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so he sent his only son after making a promise to do so from heaven to earth. And he died for us on a cross. He gave his life in order to pay the penalty of our sin before God. And he was buried in a grave and then he rose from the dead. And he says, if you'll trust me, if you'll commit your life to me, acknowledge me and my accomplishments. Stop trusting in your moral accomplishments that are insufficient before God. And you trust in mine. I will forgive you of all of your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. All of the benefits of who I am will accrue to you. All of them. And then he says in his word, he goes, and I want everyone to know this. And so a year ago, we as a church family, we sat down and we said, you know what? What we know for certain, this is the mission of God. He wants the knowledge of his glory to be known from the 
from, 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 from sea to sea, everybody. He wants them to know what's available in Jesus Christ, that they can be forgiven of their sin. And we know within the scriptures because he's told us that, that, that the mechanism that he wants to use in the world is the local church. His plan is for there to be a local lighthouse just like this in every village, in every city throughout the entire world. That's his plan. He tells us within the world word. And so a year ago, we said we need a vision. We have a mission. This is what we're about. We exist to glorify God by introducing all peoples to Jesus Christ and then to grow them up to love and worship him. But every now and then, what we need is we need some marching orders just for right now. And so we say, you know, for the next three years, let's focus on this. And we believe if we focus on this for three years, it's going to get us closer to fulfillment of his mission for our life. And so we said, you know what we want to do? We want to plant our lives in the church. And we want to plant the gospel in the city. And we want to plant churches in the world. And do you know why? Because when you open up the Bible, you do not have to wonder if that's important to him. You don't have to pray and find out if God cares that people in our city hear the gospel. He's already told us. How we go about doing it, yeah, we can pray about that. But if we should do that, no. Should we commit ourselves to a local church and be engaged and plant our lives within the church? None of us need to pray today if God cares about that. Because he's already told us very specifically. And this is what it means to make plans whether it's business plans or whether it's construction plans or whether it's family plans, in full view of God, we're saying, God, we know that this is what you're doing and this is what you love, and I want to make plans that accord with what you have already said is important to you. And so he tells us to make plans. The second thing, though, is that God tucks our plans into the canopy of his plans. He tucks our plans into the canopy of his plans. You see, popular culture would have us think that our choices determine absolutely everything about our future. And there's no doubt that what you decide today, there will be a bearing tomorrow. There's no doubt about that. We all know that's true. And so we have modern day theologians like Doc Brown from Back to the Future that says, your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. And this kind of theology is partially true. What you decide today will matter tomorrow. However, we cannot forget that God also has plans for our lives. That God also has plans for our church. Proverbs 16.33 tells us at what level, how small. He says the lot is cast into the laugh, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Do you see what that says? Lot casting is like flipping a coin. He says, we flip the coin, but God decides how it lands. Now, some of us already, we say, well, I just don't believe that. I don't think he cares about small things like that. Isn't it interesting? We say, we don't think God cares about small things like that. And yet he chose at the micro level to place that sentence within his word. He tells us in that verse that he cares who kicks off first. We flip the coin. That's what we do. And he decides how and where it lands. That's what it says. It's every decision is from the Lord. Well, this immediately strains our mind. And the reason is because our hearts and our minds can only contemplate a reality to where cause equals 100%. This is what I mean. If we say my choices matter and have bearing about my future, then we say, okay, what I decide today has bearing tomorrow. So sometimes we say it's entirely, and so now we have no room for God. But what if 
everything is fixed? What if everything is already determined by God, that what his will is already happens? Well, we have a hard time with that because we say, wait a minute, if it's already fixed and determined, then nothing I do matters. And the reason is because we cannot contemplate causality that exceeds 100% within our own minds. And yet these verses that we just read say that you and I, that we make plans. And it's really important that we do so. But it says here that we are both free and determined at the same time. Verse 1, he says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 9, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now what does this mean? It means that when you plan your plans, they belong to you. Good or bad, you're going to be held accountable for them. You're responsible for those plans. What you do, they're yours. And yet God, in all of his sovereignty, he has the ability to say that what happens as a result of those plans is determined by him. And he even allows the reality of evil to be spoken into this equation. It's amazing that he doesn't he doesn't back away from this. He says, no, this even includes when you sin. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. Look what it says. It says, the Lord has made everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And so God, this is amazing. He's saying it's not just the small things like a coin flip. It's even the evil things that he tucks into his overall plan in order to bring about good to the world. Now, if you don't understand verse 1 and verse 9, then you're going to think that God is the author of the evil. And that's not what it's saying. What he's saying is this, is that your plans are your plans, and you're going to be held responsible for those plans. But God, in his love and his sovereignty, has the power to even take the impact of those plans and their results and weave them into an ultimate good. And you find this in multiple places of the Bible, such as with the story of Joseph. He's got a bunch of brothers. And his dad shows favoritism to him, so his brothers hate him. He's getting a little arrogant. They're getting bitter. Dad's showing favoritism. And so his brothers sell him into slavery. They say, Dad, he's dead. But they didn't. Not true. They, they sell him. So now all of a sudden he's a slave. He does really, really well. And then suddenly he's falsely accused of rape. And so now he's thrown into prison. He's not done anything wrong. And now he's down there in prison. And God continues to bless the work of his hands. Long story short, he actually becomes within time the prince of Egypt. He interprets a dream and Pharaoh goes, man, that's really amazing. You know that. You can probably lead this whole effort. There's going to be a big famine in the land that's going to cause everyone to come to me. We need to prepare for that over these years. No one better than you. Well, eventually his brothers have to come and get grain. They don't know him at first and goes through this really fun plot line to where finally he lets them know at the very end of the book of Genesis it's fascinating what, 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 uh, what we read. It says that his dad dies. And all of a sudden his brothers are thinking, oh man, now he's going to exact vengeance upon us for what we did to him. And so they come and they lie to him. And they say, hey, dad told us beforehand, don't, don't hold that again. And this is what he says. He goes, listen to me. You had plans and those plans were evil and they were intended to harm me. He says, but God meant it for good. Selling him into slavery was an evil plan, and they're going to be held accountable for that. And yet God was able to take that and move to the place to where he was able to preserve literally a culture of people. We also see this with Jesus. Evil men falsely condemned 
the only innocent person to ever walk the face of the earth. They had plans to do him harm. Those plans belonged to them. They would be held accountable for those plans, and yet God used their plans to crucify the Son of God to save every single one of us. And so he invites us to make plans in full view of God, and then he tucks those plans into the canopy of his overall plan. And then we get to the third, and this is so big, and that's that God instructs us to trust his ultimate plan. Oh, he wants us to make plans, and he wants us to see that he has plans too, but at the end of the day, he goes, now look, now, now after we've said all this, and you've got all your plans, and you know my plans, you have to understand this. What actually takes place? I need you to trust me. And verse 3 is fascinating. He says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, if truth be told, if you actually read that and studied that intently, you would know that I just said something that you don't believe or you, you don't practice. Every single one of us. You see, we're used to this and except we flip the order in the way that we live our life. Most of us heard, commit your plans to the Lord and your work will be established. But that's not what it says. It says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, what's the difference? And the difference is significant. The word work there can actually be translated life or labor or even final fate. Most of us, what we do is we do this. We see God as a world and we see our life as our own little world. And so we make plans in our little world and we say, God, would you bless these plans to bless my world? And so we think it says, commit your plans to the Lord and your work will be established. And what, this is what he says. He says, you commit your life to me. And then your plans will be established. And what he means by that is that you will learn how to establish wise plans that align with my will. You see, the word commit is an interesting word. It literally means to roll over onto. This week, I was at uh, Rex Hospital, and, um, uh, and there's a, there's, there was a great doctor I was with, and, and, and that's not a part of the story. But, but it's, it's, so, so there's this table, and he says, I want you to lay down on this table. And I looked at the table, and I said, well, that's a problem, because this side doesn't have any legs. This side's connected. It goes all the way out. It looks like Star Wars or something. You know, it's just like, it looks like it's levitating. And he goes, just, just lay down on it. And so I literally, I push him down on it. I'm not the first person that's ever sat on this table, you know. And, but I'm like, man, all right, whatever. Well, and so what did I do? So I, I eat, and then finally I, I rolled down on it. I committed myself to the table. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, if we'll come to the Lord and send, saying, here's my plans, would you bless them, God? He says that we commit our work, our ways, our entire life to God and say, God, you can use me however you want. He said, then he then begins to train us to make plans to, de- to, to help us determine what those plans should be. He establishes our plans so that they're in alignment with his will. There's a vast difference there. One of them says that I'm God of my world and I'm asking you simply to bless it. And the other says, total abandonment. I give you my all. And whatever you give and whatever you withhold, I trust you. I trust you. And so two applications. The first is this, is let's commit our lives to Jesus. Did you know there's only one, been one person in the history of the world who's ever rolled over entirely upon God? And it was Jesus Christ. 
He says, not my will, but your will be done. He totally rolled over, rolled himself over and committed himself to his father's will. He marched to Jerusalem, knowing what was awaiting him, knowing that he would be falsely condemned, falsely accused, and he would be crucified. And because he did that, friends, you and I can roll over on Jesus, commit our life to Jesus and all the benefits of his life, death and resurrection accrue to us. You can trust him today. Be forgiven of all of your sin. And then the second is this, is let's trust God's heart enough to rejoice. In the lobby this morning, there's a big board. There's room on it enough for each one of us to write something small, something that we saw God do in our life over the last year. And the fact is, as I look, man, my list is so long. I just sat here this week and I just started making a list of the sins in the whole congregation that he's forgiven. Think of all the sins that he's forgiven in us. Think of all that he's taught us. Think of all he's provided, how he's protected us. Think of how he kept us together as a church family during displacement. And he gave us a place to worship and to, that's actually large enough to invite people to. Think of all the obstacles he had to move through in so many people's lives for us to plant our lives within the church, to give to the church to serve the church, to connect in a life group. Think of all the obstacles that it took, all the fear he had to work through for many of us to to take courage and to share our story or our testimony or the gospel with somebody else within our city, a friend. Think of all the obstacles he had to do, work through to, to send so many of us overseas on a mission trip to be able to tell other people who don't have access to the gospel about Jesus Christ. Think of all that he's done. But in addition to this, I want you to think about all that he's taught us through all these storms. Have you ever considered why God made Joseph go through all the pain instead of just telling him? God could have shown up like a 30-minute TV show and said, all right, guys, look, family, you stop showing favoritism. You guys get rid of your business. All that, all that, all that bitterness, all that, all that resentment and you. You're, you're not so great, so humble yourself. Oh, and by the way, in 25 years from now, there's going to be a really big famine, so start saving up grain. All right, I'm out, right? He could have done it that way, right? He didn't. What did he do? He made a real person go through significant pain for 25 years. Why would he do it that way? Why would he allow you to go through anxiety and depression and job loss? Why would he allow you to to go through bereavement or divorce? And the reason is because nobody grows by being told how to grow. Nobody learns that they're a sinner by being told they're a sinner. No one learns that they're truly loved by God by me standing up and saying, did you know that you're loved by God? The only way that we really know that we're loved by God, the only way that we really grow in our faith is when God leads us through seasons of life that are really hard. And then through those seasons, we see how he's been active. And then after we get past that season, we look back and we see that God was active and he was faithful, that nothing could separate us from his love. And then we have the trust in his big heart that's enough to come back to him and say, thank you. And that's what today's about. It's not just the people who've been saved and 
baptized and have joined and have served the children and everything else that God's done in our life. But every single one of us, he has taken us through a journey and we are better for it. But it's a hard journey. And so what I want to do now is I want to show you a video. Show you a video that we built that really has three purposes. It intends to remind every single one of us of God's amazing faithfulness to each one of us. It seeks to remind us of our mission as a church family, why we're here, what we've assembled to do, why he has built us. And then also reminds us of God's incredible love for each and every one of us. And the reason that we want to show this is not only to celebrate and to be reminded of some of the things that he's done, but we also hope that this day is going to propel us forward in faith and in hope that God can continue to do amazing things in the year to come. So watch this video together. A city of 440,000, a world of 7.6 billion, a loving God who cares for each person, each family, each struggle. 1978, the year God began a work to plant a new church in Northwest Raleigh. Along this journey, we've been blessed with many great resources, but in a city with so many that don't know Jesus and a world with even more, how could we ever make this about us? We are called to be on mission beyond our doors, in our schools, at our jobs, in our neighborhoods. We seek ways to plan our lives in the church, the gospel in our city, and churches around the globe. Being on mission with God is woven into the fabric of our culture. We are a people set on seeing lives radically changed by Jesus. It all starts here. Connecting with others in worship, growing in life groups, and serving together. This building exists as a training ground to equip disciple-makers to go out into the world to make an eternal difference. Our life groups have really reflected this plant vision over the last year in some amazing ways. And one of the ways they've been doing that is just by inviting people, just being intentional to help people to be a part of a community here at Providence. But also being intentional to be a welcoming place, spending more time in hospitality as well as when their groups get too big, they're multiplying into smaller groups to help people connect and, and to be a part. They've served our city really well through City Serve as well as life groups being intentional to, to serve at different projects uh, throughout our city month to month. So it's been great to see that. And they're not just serving the city, but they're also sharing the gospel while they're out in the city. We've had so many gospel conversations that have happened through our life groups. And we've even seen 40 people come to know Jesus Christ because of people's faithfulness to share. So this last year was my first year serving with the children's ministry. You know, at church we're talking about living life on mission. And so I would encourage my kids and say, has anyone, you know, shared the gospel with a classmate or a neighbor this week? And every week I would have someone who had talked to a neighbor about church or had talked to a classmate at lunch or some that wanted to and they weren't sure how to talk about it and we would talk about that together. So each week I left encouraged knowing that these 
eight-year-olds were living life on mission, and so like if they could do it, then I should be leveraging my life for the gospel as well. From newborns to college students, we want to invest in leaders who will take the gospel further than before to cultivate a new generation to live on mission. And while our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we never forget to have fun and enjoy each other along the way. Close to 60% of the community is unchurched. Our love for Jesus can't be contained within these walls. In a nation with so much to offer in comfort and entertainment, many feel isolated and in despair. But we have a message that goes beyond the surface, a message of hope that changes the heart and brings joy. The Plant Vision has energized people here at Providence and myself to really reach out, to get out of our comfort zone and to, to try new things, to engage our community or our neighborhoods or wherever we are. Some of them city serve where we are trying to incorporate more relational opportunities and also just with read and feed, um, serving in Raleigh Gardens and Casa del Sol or just reaching out to our neighbors through Starting Point or having people over for breakfasts or lunch or cookouts. And so it's been really exciting to see how people are taking this mission and vision seriously and planting their lives in the city. Our involvement in, in CityServe was really spawned by a connection that we had already through our children's school. And our desire was really how do we plug in and um, try to build relationships there. Out of that, we've been able to plug in with PTA, and it's allowed us to uh, really begin a partnership with them and obviously has allowed us to have multiple conversations now about Jesus and about why we are um, wanting to love and to serve them. So I would like to be able to encourage our life group to model this in a way that goes outside of CityServe or anything that Providence just specifically gives, but also that be part of our normal rhythm of living life together, that we are constantly looking for those opportunities of people to love, um, to share the hope of Jesus with, um, as we continue to grow in our awareness of that and the need that surrounds us here in our city. From the beginning, the mission was never meant to stop at leaving a large footprint in Raleigh, but to advance a kingdom around the world. Over 40 years, God has grown our abilities to finance and send missionaries to cities and nations around the world. These men and women see the need beyond the comforts of what they've known and have responded overwhelmingly to short-term and long-term missions. Every Sunday, in Brian's messages, the theme of going comes out in God's Word. It is God's mission, uh, which now has become our mission. We have set the plant vision in place, and over the next couple of years, we want to continue to, to grow in planting churches around the world. We currently support 22 international church planters and eight national church planters. I'd say Providence has been a part of the growth of the kingdom as a whole in just providing people to go, being willing to offer up 
strong leaders within the church and not holding on to them, but saying this is part of God's plan and sending, sending them out into the world. Missions is part of our daily lives. It's not just a, I'm going to do this because this is my job. It's saying I, in the future, will live on mission is, is just me living my life, I guess, for Chris. It's been awesome to see the encouragement that we have been able to take to the nations. Providence people have led people to Christ. They have encouraged pastors. They've encouraged church members in all different continents. It's just been really awesome to see the work that's going on around the world from this church here in Raleigh and connecting its arms everywhere. This year, God continued to move, continued to grow, and continue to reinforce our church. We can't stop now. The fire is just getting started. We will keep planting, planting our lives in the church to support one another, to grow deeper, and to invest in the next generation. We will keep planting the gospel in our city so that our community will know the love of Jesus. And we will keep planting churches in the world so that all peoples will grow to love and worship our God. To him be all the glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we bow our hearts and our lives before you. We see what you have done for us and made available to us. And we want to commit our life to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you modeled this perfectly for us. So that for each one of us, whether we have trusted you, uh, Before or not, that today can be a day for every one of us that we lay our life before you in abandonment to say, God, this is our life. Take it. Would you establish our plans? And so we thank you. We look back, God, and it's with admiration for you. It's with affection for you that we see that you've done really amazing, kind things for each and every one of us. And we thank you, God, that you have um, Lord blessed us with such benefits. But we also thank you that you have blessed us with growth through difficulty. And we pray that you would help us to ever become a wise people, a humble people, a gentle people, a loving people, a holy people. Would you help us to be a thankful people and a worshiping people? I pray, Father, even now, Lord, as we give to you, not only from our resources, but of our heart as we sing to you, we pray, God, that you would help us to put forth an offering to you from our life or that accords with, with great gratitude. And so all the blessings that we've received, we know they're from your hand. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.